the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya. Please subscribe. And if you want to leave a review, as long as it's a nice one, we'd love that too. I'll leave any review. We can handle it. I am excited about today's guest because I've been trying to book her for a long time and it just hasn't worked out. But now she has a new time slot on Fox Business Network where she gets to sleep more. So she was actually available to come on today. I get asked about this woman a lot. Do you know her? Do you know her? And I got to know her when she and I both appeared on Gutfeld one night. I think that was how I got to know her. And she is so kind and so funny and so smart. I just, we clicked immediately. I really can't say enough good things about her. So it's always a joy for me to be able to deliver news to people when they ask about her that she is legitimately a really cool human. I just can't wait for you to meet her because there's a lot you don't know about people until you ask questions and they're willing to answer. You, you know, people just think, oh yeah, he's the president of a bank. He's always been the president of a bank. Well, no, there are layers and layers of story that led to whomever becoming president of a bank or a sideline reporter on Sunday night football or the one and only Dagan McDowell. She's next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity. With your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. So, Dagan, what I love about you is your authenticity. You're the same. But here's the thing. Like, when I met you, I didn't know how sweet you were. Like, you're really kind. And you've got, there's a gentle side to you that probably doesn't come out full force when you're on television. Is that, what's the reason for that? Are you, are, are there two of you? Tafoya, you're not yeah. supposed to say that. Oh, oh shoot. I'm sorry. Let's start over. Let's, let's no, start just, the whole thing over. Um, I think my mother, um, and I only wish you had gotten to meet her and everybody walking on planet earth. My mother was very uh, kind-hearted, and she wore that uh, as easily as her clothing. Hmm. Um, and I think that that you know, my mom about three years ago died. Um, she battled a stage four lung cancer for about five and a half years. Never smoked, and so I think that. As we, as a family, fought that with her, 
um, I think my, I don't want to say my personality changed, but I was more willing to um, show that side to myself um, that, that this is going to sound so silly, but there's one thing that I did start doing when she got sick. Um, well, she, it, I like a good rule of thumb is pull your head out of your ass when you, <laughs> when you, you know, when you get up in the morning, when you go to work. So when I started going to work, cause you know, I'd go to for 13 years, went to work at three o'clock in the morning. I'd get up at two thirty in the morning. And the first thing out of your mouth, out of my mouth should not be something about myself. It should be, how are you? How are you this morning? Good morning. How is your daughter, your husband, your cat? And so my focus did start to change on you have to find that small bit of happiness and grace in your day that that's happiness is and it could and it that's living a a life of joy is mm. finding it not finding it but acknowledging it because i think acknowledging. that so every everybody will experience some moment of joy every day mm-hmm. and but you have to stop in that moment and acknowledge it, it and it might be you see a grandmother with her grandson and he's laughing uncontrollably. It (laughs) might be um, you see a um, woman with her new puppy and it just, but you have to stop and go, Oh, that's just so joyous and happy. So uh, it's some of that, but it's so it, I, I don't mean to sound maudlin, but so, so it's some of that and some of it, a friend of mine always made fun of me when one of my first friends here in New York from 30 years ago would say, people say you're a, folks say you're a people person. He was like, that's so crazy. He was like, you're such a grump, but <laughs> so some of it is, um, but we, you know, the first time we ever met, we got along like a house on fire and just immediately yeah. just connected. I, I you know, and, and I, I was so glad about that because the person I saw on television, I just adored because you're damn funny and you're whip smart. And, you know, you, you just you're you're unique. And I hope you take that as a massive compliment that it is. Oh, thank you. I, I've had people tell me, OK, so who have you met? Who have you met over there? <laughs> Have you met Dagan? Yes. Oh, gosh, I love her. How is she? And it's so wonderful to be able to say she's awesome. But, you know, it's it's uh, recently, I think it was on Twitter, and I hate often acknowledging stuff on Twitter, but it's there. So let's go there. It, someone questioned your rural South bona fides. They sort of said, you ain't from the rural South. You, you're t- you know, and, and you took them to task. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a, it's called Brookneal, Virginia. It is in Southern Virginia. It's not when it's an area of Virginia. It's called Southside or Southside. Where I grew up, we say South. 
It's just the okay. thing. That's how we pronounce it. It's called so you say host too. So it's very it's strangely Canadian. Oh, that is. Wow, yeah. that really is. Um so it's an area everything south of the James River is called Southside. So it's central Virginia. So it's tobacco country or used to be. And it is a town, it's a it's about two hours southwest of of Richmond, Virginia, and about an hour southeast of Lynchburg. And it doesn't sound, people think Virginia and they think Washington, D.C. Right. And it's not Western Virginia. So it's not like, it's not near Tennessee. Okay. But, and it's close to North the North Carolina border, but it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And it, it's, doesn't it has one stoplight and no fast food <laughs> it doesn't we've never had a movie theater so like we do not have and have never had even a mcdonald's and the closest mcdonald's is an hour away so, <laughs> so when people say that i don't i didn't grow up in the south they it just is hilarious to me because <laughs> Country, country is, it's not just the South, it's rural America and yeah. the country. It's, right. it's, do we know, do, you know, can we kill a chicken and <laughs> clean it if need, need be? Can you? Yeah. If You if, can. In, in tough times, if you needed me to clean a you know kill and clean a chicken for dinner sure okay absolutely so a deer that- maybe not that might be hard but i could make it work hi everyone if you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault listen up we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay. Well, okay. You'd shoot the deer, right? Could you shoot a deer? Sure. I haven't been hunting like years. I mean, I've lived in New York for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but and yet you still you know, have that Southern sensibility about you and that rural sensibility that people should not question, by the way. Um, seriously, I mean, they should was, not. But that was one thing that when I, I, I do, New York is a very hard place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very busy. It is very loud. It is very expensive and it's very dirty. But mm-hmm. like my neighborhood you can make that neighborhood a small town if you try. Your that, neighborhood in New York. Yeah. That okay. if you, you can interact with strangers 
in a way that you can interact with people in a very small country town. I, when I get up in the morning, if I'm walking the dogs around my neighborhood, I speak to everybody. I say, oh. good morning. You, you just look great. <laughs> um, but I, I made a, have made a very strong effort and a concerted effort the entire time I've lived in New York to hang on to where I came from, not just the way I speak and not just the core values that my family raised me with. But when I started working at Fox, an executive here told me, go home, do not, do not try to be part of the media elite because the harder you try to become part of that, that circle of jerks, the more, <laughs> the more they will look down on you, the more they will laugh at you behind your back. Don't, don't worry about getting invited to a book party or the next gala. You go home at night and you call your mother and you call your father and you remember what you were raised to find important. And that is family, church, God, and country. And wow. And that's how you, that's how you survive in this business. I think. Well, I think it's because I I I mean, I know when I first started, I, I, I sort of said, well, I've got to do it like all the other female sports reporters. And there weren't many, right. There weren't that many before me. There were, were, there were certainly some, but it, 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 I didn't have success until I started having faith in the way I delivered myself. You know, I, it's just, you've got to be authentic. Otherwise people see right through it. Right. And, and exactly. so, yeah. And, and it's that to me, the most authentic people on television are the ones that have the success because you feel like they're not trying. You feel like you're getting to know them. And I think people certainly have gotten to know you, every great thing about you because you allow them to. And I, and I love that. It, it, so between growing up in this really tiny town with no McDonald's and coming to New York where there's a McDonald's on every corner just about, yeah. Yeah. Wh- where were the stops in between that sort of bridged that transition? The, it, before I say that, my entire family are incredible fans of yours. Oh, we, we are. But to your point that we are a sports family. Yeah. My mother, you know, growing up, you know, she was in high school and college in the fifties. And she was a back when there were not athletic opportunities for women. Yeah. For the most part, um, she was very athletically gifted and she just didn't have, she, you know, played sports in high school sort of, and she played competitive amateur tennis when I was growing up. But our, the, our outlet as a family was watching sports. And so my, and you know, my mom, passed away but my dad like that's what keeps him going like what'd you do yesterday he's like well what he watches you know right now it's college basketball season yeah but um so it it was very important particularly for my mother to see you and watch you as much as she loves football and professional football but 
to see you. And again, it's about getting to know you as a person and seeing you, you do what you do. So I wanted to say that. Thank um, you. Uh, mom, you know, I was educated a lot by my parents, you know, just around the dinner table, the breakfast table and the dinner table. They luckily sent me away to, um, I, to high school. They sent me away to boarding school when I was, um, I went to public school through the ninth grade and my grandfather had saved up all this money um, was, you know, through the depression, never spent a, nobody ever spent a dime in my family. Right. Right. And they ran a very small family wholesale grocery store and they just wanted like education was everything and I was really lucky and it was a better education in high school than in college. And wow. so I learned everything in high, in three years of high school. Where did you go? Where- it, it was a school. It's not boarding anymore. It was in Richmond. It's called St. Okay. Catherine school. And so I, you weren't too, too terribly far away from home. It's not like they right. sent you to Exeter or something. Right. Yeah, exactly. And okay. I, so I went to boarding school and strangely and. And it was just, I was lucky to have a few teachers who just saved me, who just were just those pe- those people and teachers who saved my life and sent me on a path that, who recognized that I was, because we talk about public, because you talk about it so much, particularly with COVID, but public school education. Yeah. And I was just wildly uneducated and undereducated because the the schooling was just so horrible in public schools and I was probably two grades behind so I was in 10th grade but I was maybe operating at like a 7th grade level yeah. um and so it luckily I just had some teachers who recognized that I wasn't stupid and worked with me. So it was that, that them getting me on the just education. And so I went high school away from home. I went to Wake Forest right. University. And then I lived in Aspen for two years after college because it was in the recession of 91. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And after I was like working outside, you know, taking the gondola to work in the morning. That was amazing. I just wanted to live outdoors and wow. Li- wow. Li- like live in the Rockies. I wanted to live out West at, for a couple of years before I entered the workforce. So you just said Aspen, like the best well, place it was, in the Rockies. It was going to be somewhere in the West, somewhere, whether it was like Wyoming or uh, Utah. And after couple years out there I literally just packed my bags and moved to New York City really because I knew that I I I mean this isn't this is because you knew what I knew I could find a job here that I knew I could find something that I was good at and that I liked that I enjoyed because there's just so many opportunities here I could find something but you didn't necessarily know what that was right I had no idea you had no idea but you said kind of that if I can make it in New York City I can make it anywhere I sort yeah sort of and I 
I didn't. Um, I sublet an apartment for six months. I saved up enough money to survive, like to pay rent and to. And I didn't have a TV. I had a radio. Um, <laughs> a, literally a radio. I'm dating Kids, myself. A radio is <laughs> a radio. Um, and I just like this is when jobs were listed in the New York Times in the paper, the actual physical paper. And I went out and interviewed for a bunch of jobs and got a job as a... What was the first... Go ahead. As uh, a? My, my first job was in journalism as a financial writer. I was a writer for institutional investor for their newsletter division. Institutional investor at the time was a very famous financial magazine. I would call it, it was like the Vanity Fair of financial magazines for and, the and industry. So how... How did you sell yourself? I mean, had you was journalism part of the studying? Was how did you Mm-mm. go? It was no. Mm-mm. So how, how did you land this job? I I knew I could write. I knew I could write, and I could write quickly. It was something I learned to do in high school. Okay, um, that I was confident about. I was not confident about much. <laughs> I was very insecure. Um, but I I was I knew I could write. And, and quickly. And I, they gave me a writing test. Like a, they give you, they would give you a, it actually wasn't just a writing test. It was like a reporting test. They gave you like fake sources to call and you'd have to call people and report out the story. And you'd have to type, you had to type it on a, did we have a computer? Yeah, we, it was a computer. Cause I, at the time, and this is probably still the case, like uh, women who moved to New York would interview for jobs at magazines like Vogue. Right. And they would interview for jobs at like Sotheby's and Christie's, places like that. And back then, they didn't care where you went to college. They wanted you to be able to type on a typewriter. And so I had to take a typing test and I was like, <laughs> I was, a, and I didn't get interviews at places like Harper's Bazaar because I couldn't type fast enough. Oh gosh. So I got this job at right as a financial reporter for the newsletter division at Institutional Investor. And that was my first job. And so I've been in financial journalism ever since then. I never really left that industry. It just went that, from writing no, to, to, to on camera, on which you're, yeah, beautifully suited for. And it's just, it's amazing to me. I love these stories. People tend to think that, oh, Dagan McDowell, she's on Fox. She's on Fox Business. She's just, that's where she's always been. Well, no. You don't understand the layers and layers of story that comes before that. It, people t- tend to overlook what a, what a person goes through and how they evolve in order to become who they are in that moment. And I, and I love hearing these things. Um, so when you first, you know what, when we come back from this quick break, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you when you first went on camera and how that experience was. We'll compare notes. (laughs) 
right after this. There are a lot of things to worry about in the world. It seems like we didn't used to have to worry about where our next meal would come from. A lot of people are worrying about that now, but I'm talking about different reasons here now. You know, I, I, I'm not conspiratorial, but it might be a good idea to have your own backup plan for food. Like if something goes really, really wrong. And these days I'm more convinced that stuff can go really, really wrong. And that's why I want to tell you about Four Patriots. This is, it's called survival food. It's, it's what you stash away for up to 25 years in your cupboards, in your pantry, in case something hits the fan, maybe some peanut butter, and you've got to be able to eat. So create that stockpile. This isn't ordinary food. It's hand-packed right in a family-owned facility right here in the U.S. of A. The kits are compact, sturdy, water-resistant, stackable. Just stash them in the basement or in a cupboard. And they have all kinds of different delicious meals, lunch, breakfast, dinner, Prep, prep time is like 20 minutes. Right now, go to fourpatriots.com, use code Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, and get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including this three-month survival kit. You'll get their famous year-long guarantee plus free shipping on purchases over 97 bucks. And they're called Four Patriots because a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. Yes to that. Just go to fourpatriots.com. That's the number four, patriots.com, code Michelle to save 10%. Fourpatriots.com, code Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, and start building that backup plan. Okay, Dave, and I remember my first on camera for CBS Sports. It was quite a different level than all the local stuff that I had been doing, and mostly I'd been doing radio. And I, I almost threw up before I went on the air. I mean, I, I, I had to have a serious talk with myself and the good Lord in order to get me in that chair and breathe. So what was your first time like? I, I can't remember. I, I remember the show. Okay. It, it was, I was in a, it was a guest spot on okay. Neil Cavuto's weekend show on okay. the news channel. I, and that was how I got my foot in with Fox is I was work. It was just, they started using me here and there mm-hmm. and the street.com I went was one like the third job I ever had in financial journalism. And I was working there and the street.com briefly had a show on Fox news on the Fox okay. news channel. And I got a little bit of experience there. Um, luckily the first shows I did were taped. So that's a net. Like that's a great net to work with because you don't have yeah. to worry about being on live television. Right. Um, so it it was just doing segments like tape segments about finance and things like that. Um, I remember. So I ended up getting a full time job on Fox because I was doing. I ended up then I started doing a taped financial show. It was called cashing in. It was on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah, With Terry Keenan. And I was on every week. They used me every single week. And after a couple of years, Neil Cavuto called me on the phone and said, Hey kid, you want a job? (laughs) 
<laughs> we know you don't know how to do TV professionally. We'll give you some help. Either you figure it out and you get to stay or you don't figure it out and you get to go. <laughs> Something to that effect. And so I got to, I figured it out, but it was, yeah, you. T- <laughs> but I've been here 15 years. No, wait, no, I've been here 20 years. Wow. This spring. And, but I've got to do all of these different things. So initially it was just, now I get you, now you get to see kind of who I am Yeah, from like yes. in real life. Yeah. But initially it was just, I was just a financial reporter. I was yeah. just a business reporter. It's a lot more liberating, isn't it? To just yeah. be, be you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, when you sit, when you're on Gutfeld or you sit in on the five or you're on outnumbered, that's when people, and now your new show too, uh, with Sean Duffy. I mean, that right. you're certainly yourself there, but I, I am, I am a big believer in that, that this, you know, be you, be your personality and people will, they're either going to like you or they're not going to like you. And and a lot of it's not even based on, on your personality. It's based on, you know, maybe your value set is different from theirs and they've just Mm -hmm. decided they're going to, they're going to not like you. And that's what's happened. It's happened to me since I've loved sports. It was 20, it was 20 years of, of toughing it out. So yeah, 20 years of toughing it out. And eventually, um, eventually you get to really be who you are. Yeah. <laughs> and as you can hear in the background, my dog approves. That's Jersey. Um, I think he's barking at someone who's shoveling snow across the street. I really don't know. I'm making stuff up. You, your dog, you have, you have two dogs with you in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, and a third dog that, do, that lives in Florida. Um, Ramon. Um, my oldest dog in Florida just he just he just passed away. Oh shoot! I'm so sorry. I you see the last time I talked to you, which wasn't that long ago, he, Ramon was still going. I um he just passed away. Um, I'm so and, sorry. No, it's okay. But they're our children, and he was 18. So man, exactly. Man, that's a he, good long life. He was the the OG for original gentleman. He was he was from Puerto Rico. He was a Puerto Rican sato or street dog. And he how'd was, you find him? Uh, we got him from a rescue up in Connecticut, but he was literally pulled off the street by a woman who ran a small rescue down in Puerto Rico and he was living outside of a, a restaurant in Puerto Rico with his two siblings and oh my goodness Ramon Ramiro and Rosario and Ramon so we just never changed his name oh why would you I mean and, Ramon is fabulous and Ramon just absolutely he loved adventure and he was the sweetest dog on the planet and I've, it's been, I haven't even told many people that he passed away. It's just been so hard to talk about it. But oh, I'm so sorry. But I, thank I, you for, thank you yeah. for asking about Ramon. And then there's Charlie and Dale. Charlie and Dale. <laughs> and how did Charlie and Dale get their names? 
Charles, so we lots of people change their dogs' names after they rescue them. So when dogs are like found or dumped at a rescue, they immediately change their names. So Charlie, Dale, and Ramon are the names they had at the rescues, and we just never changed them. Yeah. I yeah. just kept them. Yeah. I just thought Charlie and like Dale was just perfect. Charlie is perfect. And Ramon, he was, he's a little, he was a little Puerto Rican gentleman. So Ramon <laughs> needed to stay Ramon. I love it. I absolutely love that. Uh, and you, you feature them from time to time in your Instagram and Twitter pages, which we will, you know, we'll, we're showing here to people so that they can check you out on those two platforms. Cause it's, it's worth, worth the follow. Um, they're adorable. Uh, and, uh, and like you said, yeah. So I, I just got a dog a year ago. And so I'm just discovering this. Now I had dogs growing up, but I have not had a pet for since before my kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is like a new thing in our house and I get it. I get it more now than I did when I was a kid because you're more responsible as an adult and you, you realize what has to be done for this creature. But dogs are, I was thinking about this, how do you explain the miracle of dogs? Like they are, they communicate with you in such a way and they look at you and you relate and you have a relationship that is semi-human, but really not in the best of ways. How do you describe it? There, there is the unconditional love, but there is the unconditional need that, and it's, they also are, and I saw this with when my mother was sick, that particularly with Ramon and Charlie, that dogs instinctively know when people are in pain and need comfort, and they run to it. Mm -hmm. People human beings tend to uh, are not with illness and sickness. Mm -hmm. It makes some people uncomfortable yes. or they don't know what to say or what to do or what to ask. And dogs particularly only know one thing and that's just to provide comfort by being next to you. Mm -hmm. And I just witnessed that. And they didn't know. They, you know, they just knew that my mother, they, it was just through instinct. They knew that she needed them by her side. Mm -hmm. And literally, Charlie would walk in the door for years. If when I would go, because at times I was down there every weekend, I was driving like I mean, it was like 600 miles on a weekend round trip. And he would walk in the door and just sit next to her. Oh. And he would sit there all weekend. And Ramon would do the same thing or he'd, they'd lay on her. Oh. But it's that. That's how I describe it. And that they just know when you – they're just unconditional in their giving and unconditional in their, their need for care as well. They're just – the, just absolutely, I can't put it this way. I they weren't in the house 
they I had the I have a, a I call them call her their auntie because she t- cares for them sometimes and they weren't there and I kept turning to talk to them. I was like cleaning the house, talking to them, and they weren't there they one weren't day. There. It's just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's hard to imagine life without them. Yeah. Once you have them, there's no, yeah, exactly. there's no question. Uh, although my son has now decided they're they're a lot of work, so he's now officially going to not have a dog until he's married, because you know then someone there, else will do the work. Uh, and I say this like I rescued like uh, all of my dogs are rescues and have been rescues, but particularly rescue dogs, they come with not more like, like physical problems sometimes than behavioral problems. It's, they come with like digestive problems, gut problems, allergies, and it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's that, that part too. Um, All right. Before I let you go, we're going to just switch gears for a minute and talk about I mean, business is your forte. I, what do you see as the, the the sort of the major, if you could call it down to a small group of, because we have so many major issues to deal with in the country mm-hmm. today. But from your perspective, what's the, what are the, the few biggest that, that really <clears throat> could be tackled if not for um, this president who doesn't seem to want to tackle The the biggest one was it and is the just reckless spending and and that this is over a two year period and and spending that had to be funded by debt. So and it was spending on and it's an and it's it's government takeover and government control of, of major industries. So it's a complete reworking of large parts of our economy. So it's driven inflation in and by some estimations, this is six and a half trillion dollars in new debt above the President Trump's baseline, which is historic. It drove inflation to a 40-year high in the middle of last year. Mm-hmm. So that crushes working men and women. Yeah. And then, but then to fight that inflation, you have a Federal Reserve that is having to hike interest rates from zero to what they could go, this is just short-term rates, go to 6% in the middle of the year, uh, the middle of this year. That also crushes work in men and women. So it is a what I call a circular crushing of working people. And the Biden administration, they're still spending money. The, all of the money that was allocated last year hasn't even really begun uh, they haven't started to spend that and say there's about a 400 billion dollar green energy slush fund that John Podesta is running out of the White House that is that is just aimed at again reworking the economy 
fossil fuels are cheap and plentiful in the United States and it raises our standard of living, but they're going to, they're going to crush, they're going to keep that fuel in the ground and borrow money and allocate that to fuels that are costly that send ultimately money to China for batteries. See, none of this makes any financial sense, but it does damage our standard of living. So, and also, and Sean Duffy makes fun of me because I bring this up all the time. There is still, they, for three years, there has been no one with student debt has had to make a single payment right. on their student loans, and there hasn't been any interest accruing. So when you don't accrue interest on debt, that debt goes down in value right. by, by whatever the inflation rate is. So that is inflating away the debt, or that is a bailout. That is loan forgiveness. That is a student loan bailout all by itself. This is outside of what was heard in front of the Supreme Court last week. Right. That is ultimately being paid for by people who didn't go to college or paid their own way or parents who paid their children's way. Right. So again, that crushes working men and women who and so it's inflation. It's higher interest rates to fight the inflation. It's the bailing, you know, bailing out people who went to college. All of this damages working Americans. Yeah. And it will take years and a new president <laughs> and, a, and a new Senate to fix it. Yeah, that's... To, un, to unwind it. Yes, yes. I, that's what's so... I mean, we got to like we're we're going to we've got to tough this out as a country. Right. We if we want to hang on, we've got to tough this out. And and some people are going to have to make um, some sacrifices Uh, when it comes to the. uh, Do you think I'm getting the feeling, this hopeful feeling that the Supreme Court is not going to listen to all the pressure out there and that they're going to say, you know what? No, you don't. President Biden have the authority to just wave away debt. What do you what are you hearing? What they, do you think? That based on the questions that they asked, it feels like seems like they won't rule in the administration's favor. But you still have this more this three year moratorium where three years when the payments haven't been made. So that's right. still so far. It's about one hundred and eighty billion dollars. So that's a $180 billion loan bailout. That's how much cost. So, and it's not unthinkable that they will just, that the administration will just keep extending it. Right. Because that's not the case that the Supreme Court heard. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't go that way. So, they vote down well they don't they vote down the actual student loan forgiveness right but they but 
then the Biden administration turns around and extends the moratorium on making student loan payments, which, by the way, has applied to every single student borrower, regardless of income. So I'm talking about well-to-do elitist. Yep. With, you know, elitist with, you know, useless graduate degrees right. from, from pricey colleges. That's that this moratorium or pause on making student loan payments for three years. And it did. It started. Congress passed it at the very beginning of COVID and it was extended by President Trump. And then when he left office, it has been extended over and over and over again by Joe Biden. So it did start three years ago. Right. When we were when we were in an actual emergency. And now, according to this current president, the emergency is over, but his emergency powers are still going to stay pretty much in force. Exactly. Oh, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Oh, Dagan, I could go on and on and on with you. You're the best. No, no, you're the best. Um, It's great to have you finally on the podcast. I'm so appreciative. uh, And I'm sure I'll bump into you sometime soon in tomorrow tomorrow when i'm in new york city (laughs) yes we will we'll bump into each other and uh and a sincerest condolences about ramon people who don't have pets don't understand how you know how tough that is so i do and i'm i'm sorry but man you gave him a good life for a good long time and you should feel really really satisfied by that yeah he was a good man Little, he was a good little. He was a good little man. Good little man, Ramon. Um, she Michelle, is Dagan McDowell, you. and you can find her on Fox Business Network. Uh, the show is called Bottom Line with her, and as you heard her mention, Sean Duffy, and that's at is it that at six Eastern time? Yes, Tafoya, six p.m. Six p.m. Eastern time. <laughs> Okay, so there you go. So watch it. Uh, they're Thank they're you. really good together. Thank you so much, Dagan. I really appreciate Thank it. Folks, so thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget my two things I always say. Be brave. Damn it. God, find your courage. Be brave and do good. Thanks for listening. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.